As we come to you on this broadcast of Graceful Truth, we do so with our eye firmly fixed on next week and Christmas. Join us as we begin our special Christmas series here on Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. The scene is a very familiar one. In fact, we have nativity scenes all over depicting this scene that we see here at the beginning of the Gospels, at least Matthew and Luke. It is the manger scene, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what can we learn from this manger scene? Well, that's the focus of our time together today here on Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse, will take us back to this manger scene that we might learn from this scene and come away with full hearts of gratitude this Christmas season. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now. You've heard it all over and over and over and over again. We know about Mary. We know about the angel Gabriel. We know about their dangerous journey to Bethlehem. We know about Caesar's decree, about Herod's insane jealousy. Uh, We've heard about the inn with the no vacancy sign and about the angels and the shepherds and all the mysterious wise men from the east and the last second flight they took into Egypt. And all those stories are probably very near and dear to our heart and we know them probably like the back of our hand. But a lot of times, like anything that we become familiar with, we know about them and we hear them, but we really don't hear them. All those stories we know so well that we really don't hear them because we've heard them all before. And that creates a problem. Uh, There's a saying that says familiarity breeds contempt. Now, we may not be contemptuous about the Christmas story, but we may be somewhat disinterested. Which is sad because the Christmas story is really full of different surprises. There are unexpected miracles within the Christmas story on every turn. It tells us an amazing story. The story that God, the very God who created us, invaded human history in the form of this tiny, helpless baby. And I think one of the best ways to fight against the tendency to sleep through a Christmas sermon is to focus on the details. Sometimes it, it really takes a microscope. It takes study to study just one little fragment of the story. And by looking closely at one little small part, you may see the whole story in a new light. And with that in mind, I want us to focus our hearts this morning just briefly on one verse of Scripture. Luke chapter 2. And the verse comes from the first Christmas sermon. It was preached by an angel to some frightened shepherds. And after announcing that the shepherd had been born in Bethlehem, the angel tells the the shepherds how to find this baby. And it says there in verse 12 of Luke chapter 2, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, And lying in a manger. Now we all know that verse. We're all familiar with that verse. We've all seen the manger scene time and time again. But when you look at that verse in the context of what's happening. Honestly, I mean something inside of me just says this doesn't fit. (laughs) This isn't normal. I mean you have these angels appearing to shepherds. 
And the glory of the Lord, in verse 9, shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then he says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this is going to be the sign. I don't know about you, but the sign doesn't fit the story. This is something wrong here. I mean, the angel just declared to this band of shepherds that onto them was going to be born the Savior of the world, the Christ, the Lord. Now, these shepherds weren't expecting this angel to appear, so this was kind of off the cuff, kind of unexpected on their part. And it must have been an awesome experience to be there as a shepherd and hear this angel proclaim this good news that a Savior has been born, that the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah has come. The Lord from heaven is here, and he's come to Bethlehem, no less. But where? Where in Bethlehem? How are they going to find this baby? Well, that's where verse 12 comes in. The angel speaks of the sign. When you look at it in the original Greek, there's a definite article. It's not just any sign, it's the sign. He uses a word that generally refers to a supernatural sign from God that no one could miss. Kind of like the parting of the Red Sea, or maybe walking on water, or seeing God create the universe before your eyes, or the ultimate sense of miracle, raising someone from the dead. In my mind, those are signs from God. Those are events that God, the God of the universe, has somehow intervened in human history. And to me, that's why verse 12 just doesn't seem to fit. It sounds strange. There will be the sign. It says the sign will be this. Are you ready? This is going to be the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I don't don't know about you, but there's a lot of questions that come to my mind. In what way is a baby a sign from God? Why did God choose to enter the human race like this? What's this stuff about swaddling clothes? I mean, he was fully and truly God from all eternity. The Son of God took on human flesh when he was conceived in Mary's womb. He was born in Bethlehem. Don't misunderstand. He wasn't half God and half man. He was fully God and fully man. He did not cease to be God, although he laid aside for a time his outward glory of his deity. But in some mysterious way to us, the Lord Jesus Christ The God-man, two natures joined together in one person. See, that's the central truth of our faith. That's the central truth of Christianity. That God has entered human history in order to provide for our salvation. What we could not do, He did for us through His Son. See, everything else that we believe flows out of that truth, beloved. Think about it. If He had not been born... He could not have died for our sins. He would not have risen from the dead. He had to become like us in order to save us. There was no other way. There's a lot of people that fight over that basic truth. In the first century, they battled over his genuine humanity. Because they thought anything with a physical body was evil. So there's no way that God could inhabit a physical body. Did God really become man? Some people say no. 
But the Word of God tells us different. 1 John 4, 1-6 reminds us that to, not, to deny the humanity of Jesus Christ is to place yourself out the, outside of the boundary of Christianity. And even in our day today, there's people that want to debate this. There's very few people that deny that Christ was a man. But many deny that he was also fully God. They say things like, well, he was a wonderful teacher. He was a leader. And even he was a man sent from God. But they don't believe, as our faith tells us, that he was the very God of very God. So what does this manger signify? What does this manger signify? When you stop and think about it, Jesus was almost certainly not the only baby born in Bethlehem that night. We know that's probably not true. Because later, Herod had all the baby boys under the age of two put to death, and there were a lot of them. So there must have been other infants and toddlers. So what's so special about this baby in a manger? Luke 2.12 is telling us the particular circumstances of Jesus' birth are important. They're part of the message from God. I mean, Jesus could have been born in any circumstance God chose. But what is the message of the manger? What is God saying to us through that manger? What do we need to learn from the way God works about who Jesus is? I mean, when you think of a sign, the only illustration really I can come up with is if you came to America from another country and you wanted to know who our chief executive was, who the president was, but you didn't know who he was or where he lived, but you'd like to meet him if you could. And when you ask for help, what if I told you something like this? Look, go to this place called Washington, D.C., and look for this large building called the White House. Look for a plane called Air Force One. Look for a helicopter called Marine One. Listen for a band called playing Hail to the Chief. And when you see a man coming out of the White House who's surrounded by police officers and plain glows Secret Service agents, that's the sign that you found the president. You'll know for sure when he gets in the presidential helicopter and flies away. It's not hard to spot because he's always surrounded by cameras and reporters. The sign of our president is pomp, it's ceremony, it's security, it's publicity that surrounds him wherever he goes. And what is the sign that the heir has been born the Savior who will bring salvation? Well, God chose this. He chose nothing more than a little baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Christendom, one of the early church fathers, called this a tremendous and wonderful sign. He referred to 1 Timothy 3.16, which tells us that great and the mystery of godliness... God was manifest in the flesh. He goes on to say that we should love this holy day, Christmas, because it means that the Word was made flesh and came to earth to dwell among us. But somehow, the world missed everything. The world missed God's sign. We know the Jews were looking for a sign. They were looking for the Messiah. Even Herod's scribes knew that Micah 5.2 predicted that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Why didn't they recognize him when he came? They could not see the divine in the ordinary. They missed him altogether. Why? Because they wanted something spectacular. They wanted a political Messiah who would deliver them from the the Roman domination. The Jews wanted a sign, but they weren't expecting a baby in a manger. God gave them a sign, but they missed it. You know what? That's the way it is with many people today in our society. For just a moment... 
Let's suppose we don't know anything about Christmas. Nothing. If Luke 2.12 were the only verse that we had, what would we know about the birth of Christ? Well, first of all, we would know something about his humanity. Because it tells us you will find a baby. That's all it says. A baby. It means infant. It means newborn child. It's a totally ordinary word to describe the birth of a child. This tells us that Christ came into the world just as we all do. Even though we often speak of the virgin birth, it should re, we should be remembered that the real miracle occurred not then, but at the moment of conception nine months earlier. Jesus' physical birth, beloved, was completely normal, as normal as it could have been under these unique circumstances. And so to say that Christ was born as a baby brings us really face to face with the incarnation. And it's something that we need to make sure that we completely and totally understand. It's hard to comprehend that Christ would come as a man, that God would invade a human body. The Jews don't believe this. Even though many hold Jesus in high esteem, they don't believe him to be the very God of very God. The Muslims do not believe this. They say that Jesus was a mere great prophet sent by Allah, but they will totally deny that he was the Son of God. It's a blasphemous thought to them. The Hindus do not believe this. In their religion, Jesus might be one of the many gods, one of the many million gods, but they do not believe that Jesus is the one and only Son of God who is God manifest in human flesh. But see, this is what we as Christians must believe. And this verse teaches us that the Lord from heaven entered this earth as a tiny, helpless baby. Well, secondly, we not only see his humanity there, but we also see his helplessness. It says that he was wrapped or swaddling clothes. Now, some of you who've had babies, you know what it means to take a little newborn baby and bundle them up. Whenever my daughter would do that, I thought, man, it's so restrictive. I mean, the poor kid just can't, he can't move anything. You know, he just, all he sees his head, you know. But you know what? Back in the day, they would take these babies, these newborn babies, because the conditions were harsh. I mean, he was born in a manger, for goodness sake. They would take these babies and they would wrap them in strips of cloth to protect them from the harsh weather, the harsh elements. Usually, the mothers would wrap the arms and the legs separately, and then they'd wrap the torso all together. It almost, baby looked like a little Egyptian mummy laying there. And you think, well, that's kind of cruel because the babies can't move. It restricts the baby's movements. But you know what? In a world where there was little medical care, where babies routinely died before their first birthday, it was a way to protect them. It was a way to keep them, that precious new life, unharmed. And you think of this binding of the baby, Jesus. It reminds us of another time years later in Jesus' life when he would stand before the Jewish authorities bound and guarded as if he was a common criminal. Then he was falsely accused, but he made no reply. When reviled, it says that he refused to answer in kind. He stood before his accusers with his hands tied, awaiting a verdict that would end his life. It's no coincidence that he entered the world as he left it, as he, as he, as he left it bound and helpless. I mean, when you look at the baby this way, no one can say that he came only for the rich and powerful. No one can say that he used his heavenly prerogatives to make an easy entrance into the world. 
Because he came not for the faith of a few, but for the, to be the Savior of all. He was bound that we might be set free. But his humanity, his helplessness, and also the last thing here quickly, his humility. It says that he was lying in a manger. I mean, when we think of a manger, we think of this thing filled with hay and it all smells nice and everything. That's not what a manger was. Um, It's basically a feeding trough. And in the, the first century, a lot of times, a manger wasn't even that. It was just, they would take stones, they would find a, a, almost a cave cut out of the rock, and they'd, they'd put stones around the outside so the, the animals would stay in there, and they would have protection from the elements. Very crude kind of a manger. In the first century, stables were nothing more than these circles of stones around a hollowed-out cave in the side of a hill. One commentator says, Is there a hint of his upcoming death? Even in the feeding trough, he was already bearing the only cross a baby can bear. Extreme poverty and the contempt and indifference of mankind. Francis of Assisi said this, For our sakes, he was born a stranger in an open stable. He lived without a place of his home wherein to lay his head, subsisting by the charity of good people, and he died naked on a cross in the close embrace of holy poverty see this baby lying there forgotten in this exposed stable resting in this feeding trough is God's sign to us all it's the true incarnation God has come into the world in the most unlikely of ways and that's what Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 Paul says when when Jesus made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant he being made in human likeness See, nothing about this baby Jesus seems supernatural. We see pictures where there's a little halo over his head. That wasn't, that's not reality. There was no angels visible. There was no choirs singing at this point. If you had been there, if you had no, had no other information, you would have concluded that this is just a baby born to this poor couple down on their luck. Nothing about the outward circumstances pointed to God. But you know what? God's ways are not our ways. Romans 11.33 reminds us that his paths are beyond our finding out. Sometimes you can look at the sky and you can see a star, but you can't tell where it's come from or where it's going. See, the same is true of God who made the stars. We can see God at work in the world, but we can't tell where he's been or what he's going to do. And to me, that's the profound, reassuring message that stands behind the Christmas story. That God is a God of surprises. He does what he wants. He doesn't ask for human counsel. And from our limited perspective, his ways sometimes make absolutely no sense at all, logically. And that's a great comfort to me because it reminds me again that he is God. That I am not. What if Luke 2.12 were the only verse that you had regarding the birth of Christ? What would we know? What would could we deduce from this one verse? Well, first of all, just four quick things. The depths to which Christ stooped when he joined the human race. That's the first thing. Secondly, you could see the disinterest of the world around him because they had no room for him. The third thing is you could see the foreshadowing of the cross while he was sleeping in that manger that was probably hewed out of a rock. And the last thing you can see is the simplicity of the gospel message. See, that night, if you had walked by that couple, nothing would seem supernatural. 
Mangers were not beautiful places. They were lonely, dirty, smelly places for animals. If you're looking for Jesus, don't start in the nursery. Go outside to the barn. Find the oldest part of the barn where the boards need repaired. And the ground is covered with dirt and the air smells like manure. And when you hear the babies cry, you'll know that you found the Lord. He's not in the nursery with the rest of the children. He's out in the barn with the animals. See, faith is a gift from God. You, you can discuss this with people time and time again. It's kind of like the elephant in the room. Sometimes, you know, you gather together with people of different faiths and you discuss about everything, but you fail to discuss the one thing that's essential for them to understand that Christ is the only Savior the world has and will ever have. And to their minds, that sounds limited. That sounds almost unkind to say those kind of things, that Jesus is the only way. Instead of preaching Christ and calling sinners to repentance, we're asked to enter into a dialogue about maybe the common things that we share in our faith. I mean, that's just a smokescreen, beloved. When you dialogue, you end up talking about everything except the one thing that matters. So we come to the end of the story. God's surprising sign is a baby wrapped in strips of cloths and resting in a feeding trough in a cave behind the village inn. Not a very likely beginning for the movement that's going to turn the world upside down. But what a rebuke to those who love pomp and outward glory. To those who despise the small things of this world. Because we fail to remember that Jesus once was a small thing himself. Martin Luther once said this, He whom the worlds cannot enwrap yonder lies in Mary's lap. It was a strange way for the Savior to enter the world, but it was God's sign from heaven. We often hear, if the world needed education, they would have, God would have sent us a teacher. If the world needed an army, he would have sent, God would have sent us a general. If the world needed money, God would have sent us a banker. But since the world needed a Savior, God sent a baby See, that's the surprise. That's the wonder. That's the ultimate delight of Christmas. God did what we would never have done. And in doing so, he opened up the door to heaven for all of us. Charles Spurgeon said this, The scene at Bethlehem is one of utter simplicity, a father, a mother, and a baby. Thus was the Word made flesh to dwell among us. What God does is both simple and clear. The message to us is also simple and clear. Those who come in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ find great peace. We need once again to preach the plain man's gospel, free of speculation and centered on Christ. Spurgeon goes on and he urges his hearers to come to faith to the babe of Bethlehem who would one day die for the sins of the world. Little children should come for he was once a little child himself. Young women should come For Mary was a young woman who was God's instrument in bringing the Savior into the world. God's men should, young men should come. For Joseph was a young man who had great faith in God. Old women should come. For Anna was an old woman who looked for the coming of the Lord. Old men should come. For aged Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. Working men and women should come. To Christ because the shepherds represent all those who work with their hands for a living. And they too came to Bethlehem. And finally, even the highly educated of the world should come. Because the Christmas story tells us that wise men came bearing gifts. And they too bowed down and they worshipped the king. Spurgeon closed this sermon with this. 
He says, for my own part, the incarnate God is all my hope and trust. I come back to preach, by God's help, the gospel. The simple gospel of the Son of God. Jesus, Master, I take thee to be mine forever. May all in this house be led to do the same. And may they all be thine, great Son of God, in the day of thine appearing. For thy love's sake, amen. Well, this has been Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. We thank you for joining us. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, please consider this a formal invitation to come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And by the way, you're also welcome to join us for our Good Friday communion service coming up this Friday evening, 6 to 7 p.m., and then our Resurrection Sunday service again, 10 a.m. And then mark it on your calendar and join us for our Christmas Eve family candlelight communion service between 6 and 7 p.m. That's Christmas Eve services here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. If you'd like to know more, please call us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. You can also find us on the web at gracefultruth.org. And then our address, if you're writing to us, is Graceful Truth, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, California, And the zip code is 94061. We trust you have a blessed weekend and look forward to seeing you next week at this same time for our Resurrection Sunday edition of Graceful Truth. Until then, have a blessed Palm Sunday. God bless. 